Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Uh, I want to invite you guys to turn in to your Bibles to First uh, Peter again. We're going to complete First uh, Peter chapter one this evening together. Um, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, just as we introduced the book of First Peter to us, the letter of First Peter is written to a bunch of rejects and exiles. And we talked a little bit about how this is a season where it would be, it's easy for us to feel kind of like exiles because exiles are people who are living in a foreign land. Uh, basically, every everything that's comfortable, everything they know, everything that's normal to them uh, it has kind of been done away with. Uh, and Peter's writing to encourage those people who are Christians, who are spread out, uh, again, in, in lands that are, that are not comfortable, that are not familiar uh, to them in this time, to encourage them in their faith. And here's the crazy thing about 1 Peter. 1 Peter, not only is it written to those who are are rejects and and exiles, but 1 Peter is written to the Christian living in difficult circumstances, okay? And so that's why we can think of no better book for us to look at as we consider the season we find ourselves in. Because here's what Peter wants to draw our attention to, is to encourage us to grow in our trust of God and our obedience to Him. So wait a minute. Like actually difficult seasons in life, even suffering, are God's means to grow us up in His grace. Because we have this living hope, this living grace that is at work in our life. And as a matter of fact, as Peter said um, in the first few verses, that that grace that is alive in us is meant to like abound, to be multiplied even in us, that peace and grace is to be multiplied in us. But this is written to Christians who find themselves in difficult situations to encourage them in their obedience and their trust to God to know that that is for this season, particularly the seasons where they find themselves suffering. Tonight we are in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, and then we're going to go through chapter 2, verse, verses 3 tonight. We're going to talk about what it means to mature as a Christian. And it simply means this, it's to, it's to become sincere in our love. Um, we're going to talk about what that looks like here in a minute, but let's let's look at the verses together. First Peter chapter one verses twenty two um, is the first verses we'll read. First Peter one twenty two says this: Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, but the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Remember that angels long to look into, he says. Now let's keep reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. So then, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy 
and envy and all slander, and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up into this salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so Peter wants to show us that having a life of grace, having the living Christ live in us, that grace and peace are to be multiplied to us. But here's what this looks like. It looks like growing up. Now, sometimes growing up doesn't sound fun, right? Um, Some of you guys might be like, I'm so ready to grow up, okay? If that's you, let me see here. And you're ready to grow up? He wants to just like get your driver's license. Nobody? Why? Okay, we got two takers there. Okay, all right. There are even like uh, Toys R Us growing up, you know, that was like, I never want to grow up. Does anybody remember Toys R Us? Like, okay, good. A few of you do. Okay, right. Kind of miss it, right? It's kind of sad. Um, but he's talking about what it means to grow up. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you, when you grew up? Do you remember that? Um, were any of yours just as ridiculous as mine? Maybe, perhaps, okay. Doubt it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so I can remember I wanted to be a race car driver for a little while, okay. Uh, and then I specifically wanted to be a, a, a top fuel drag racer, okay. Yes, I did. Like, blow up at any second kind of, you know, race car driver. Uh, I wanted to be a plumber for a while. High aspirations, I know. Um, and then for a while, I wanted to be a diesel mechanic. I thought I was going to go to school and, and, and study to be a mechanic because I love working on things when it, I don't, it's not like something's broken of mine. Um, none of those st- stuck for the most part, right? So uh, God out of nowhere called me um, to ministry. Um, but this idea of, uh, of, of growing up is what Peter has for us here in this passage. Uh, but here's what, here's what growing up has to do. Tough circumstances have a way of growing you up quickly. That's something I have learned over the years. That, that difficulty has a way of growing you up more quickly. And the question I want to pose to you tonight, and the question that First Peter's posing for us is, not so much what do you want to be when you grow up, but uh, this, a better question is, uh, is who do you want to grow up into? Like, who do you want to become? Who do, you, who do you want to become? Who do you want to grow up into? And that's the, Peter, that's the message that First Peter is, is giving us here in chapter 1. So here's the main point I have for us tonight. Christians are to seek the good of others in love by growing up in the grace that gives them unfading life. So Christians are actually to seek the good of others in love by their own growing up in grace, in the life that they have that is unfading. Remember, Peter uses this word imperishable a ton of times. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. Because you have this imperishable life at work in you, then you are meant to grow up into it. Okay, Grow up into the salvation that is yours. So what does it look like? What does it mean to grow up? I want to give you three keys to growing up in grace, okay? Three keys to growing up in grace. The first one is this, become who you are. Become who you are. Verses 22 to 23 tell us about this, okay? 
verses 22 through 23 talk about this. Because you have been born again of this imperishable seed, he talks about. And what does he mean by this imperishable seed? He's He's basically saying this, know what grounds you and your identity. Okay, know what grounds your identity. God has planted, if you are a Christian, God has planted in you by his spirit the indestructible life of Jesus. This indestructible, he said, remember, unfading. It's never going to go away. It's never going to perish. It'll only get better, he says. He doesn't fade, but it actually grows even in difficulty. And strangely, difficulty has a way of like being fertilizer for this life growing up in us. That what you are actually shines through most clearly in the darkest of times. And if you are in Christ, yes, there will be ugly stuff that comes out in difficult times. But as we'll see here in a minute, that's God's way of working you out of you so that he might work Jesus into you. Okay? To be born again, though, is to have this new beginning. We call it regeneration. That's the fancy theological word. The theological concept of regeneration. It's a radical state or a change that happens to us. Okay? Peter's already talked about it here twice in chapter 1, that we are born again into a living hope through Jesus and his resurrection. What does that mean? That means that the life of God by faith in him is now at work in us, that we're no longer separated from God in our sin, but in faith, okay, this this act of God through Christ's resurrection life is infused in us, that we're joined to that life. And this radical change of God is the life of Jesus united to us by faith. That literally we are connected with the God who is alive today. When we have placed our faith and our trust in him, and this is a permanent change, and it's an unfailing hope that comes with it, he says. And this, this hope will bear up in all things. It is indestructible, right? Because God is forever going to be there. And if you're infused, if you're united with God through Jesus Christ, then you, no matter what comes your way, you will live with God forever. And so he says, your hope is everlasting. It will not be moved. So know who you are. Know who you are. Know what grounds you. That that's the life, that is what grounds you. He also says this. He says that we have this, and this is verse 22, the first verse we read tonight. This kind of weird thing that he gives, that you've been, you've purified your souls in obedience to the truth. So this basically means this. You're standing on what is true. So you, you know what grounds you, and now you're standing on what is true. The word here is psyche, okay? Some of those of my age, we used to say psych. We used to use that kind of as, as, a, as a term, but a uh, slang term. It's not used so much anymore, I, I know. Uh, but the word psyche here means, is where we get our, our understanding like psychology, Okay, if you've ever if you've ever heard or studied psychology, or maybe one day you have an interest there, this is where this comes from. It has the has to do with the idea of the center of our personality. So here's what comes with that: our emotions, our thoughts, our desires. So our thinking, our willing, and our feeling. 
okay? So here's what Peter's saying. The grace of God not only changes the state of our life in that we are joined with him, okay, but grace has a way of renewing our thought patterns, Our emotional responses are changed and rewired. Our motivations to act in the way that we do, all of that gets rewired and renewed by the grace of God at work in us. And so so what does this mean? It means we're able to hear and weigh out truth, okay, and to respond appropriately to that truth Because we understand that truth isn't just something I make up and is just my truth and you have your truth and I have mine. No, truth is something that matches reality. And you can't, that door over there can't be in a different place for you, right? It's there. It matches reality. That's what truth is. And so all of our life is rooted in this truth, supremely the Word of God, that is living and active in our life by His Spirit. Uh, 19th and 20th century thinker, philosopher by the name of Francis Schaeffer puts it this way. He says, Christianity is not just dogmatically true or doctrinally true. In other words, it's not just a belief system. He says this, rather it is true to what is there and thereby it is for the whole area of the whole man in all of life. So it's for all of you. And so here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit works into our inner being, our personality, our thinking, our willing, our feeling, as we hear and respond to truth and obedience. So here's what this does not mean. This means I'm not led by my personality. I don't retreat into my personality. Oh, well, I'm just an introvert, or oh, I'm just a, you know. Sometimes that just means you're just a jerk, right? You ever see, you ever know that? Like when people like kind of excuse their, their, their behavior, oh, that's just my personality. Well, you should change that, right? It's <laughs> kind of thing. It's not that we're led by our personality. We're not led by our rogue kind of thoughts. Our emotions don't lead us. These things are all purified by the truth. And so all of this produces love. Rather than being led by our thinking, our feeling, and our willing, our will, our feelings and emotions, and our thoughts are shaped around truth rather than dictating what truth is. Do you see the difference? And all of this, Peter says, produces love. Then you have this right goal. So you know, you know who you are, okay? You know what grounds you. You are standing in truth. But then you have the right goal for all of this, and that is the deepening love. And that's what Peter gets at. Knowing what grounds you and standing what is true completely in grace forms you in a whole in a whole way. So he says this, he says if he forms it forms you ultimately to lead you to a deepening of love for you. So here's the crazy thing. If you're actually walking in obedience and you're actually standing in truth, you become more loving. Say so what? Let me ask you this. In our season that we find ourselves in right now, when we are claiming to have truth, are we becoming more loving? Because I'm not so convinced we are, friends. Because ultimately, 
this identity and personality being rooted in grace leads us to love. And so God's love working deeply in and through us deepens us in love. So look at how Paul says this in Romans 12. He links our holding on to truth or what is good to our love for one another, our genuineness and love. He says, look at this. Let, it, let love be genuine. How do you let love be genuine? You abhor what is evil and you hold fast to what is good. And then he says, love one another with a brotherly affection and then outdo one another in showing honor. How do you have genuine love? How do you have a affection that grows for one another to, to where you're actually wanting to outdo one another in showing honor? You hate what is evil and you give approval to what is good. You stand in what is true. And so our love is meant to be so much deeper than oftentimes what we hear in the world. You know what the world's understanding of love is, right? It is acceptance of everything, okay? You, really, you realize that's not love, right? The acceptance of someone by accepting of their emotions, their thoughts, their desires, their state of life, their choices, even if that thing is not actually good, is not loving. It is not loving to approve of someone who you care about when you know what they are approving of is not good. Right? Because true love is the yearning for someone to know and to walk in what is good. Okay? So love holds out what is good and right and not empty and perishing, but what is unfading, Peter says. What is imperishable. So what does love look like? It looks like yearning for the good and fullness of others. So simply put, guys, this is what I'm saying here. This is what Peter's getting at. Growing in grace makes us more loving and desirous of the fullness of others in truth. So you and I should feel a real affection towards our Christian brothers that causes us to honor God in the way we relate to them. So let me be more specific here. When Christians are growing in the word and in truth, they are more peaceable peacemakers, not troublemakers who promote the unity of the church. They are more peaceable peacemakers. That doesn't mean that they're unwilling to step into conflict and confrontation. No, that's not a real form of peace. But they promote the unity of the church. They're not troublemakers. So are we becoming more or less loving in this season? And are we clinging more or less to God in these days? Because here's the thing, guys. We can't control the outcomes of what comes of this season, but you and I can control what we choose to ground ourselves in, what we will choose to be and become. But we can't choose the way the outcomes will pan out. And so my heart for us in this season, more than anything, and for my, myself, is how I remember this season. I can't control all the rest of those things, but will I choose to be someone who pursues Christ and is becoming more like him in the way I respond to the people that I have the opportunity to? So that's the first key, to know who you are, to grow up and to become who you are. The second thing is this, to feed on good things. To feed on good things. Verse 2, he gives this illustration like newborn babies, okay? 
He says, like newborn children, uh, crave the spiritual milk so that by you, that you will grow up into the salvation if you've tasted the Lord is good. So Peter's saying this. He's saying that key to growing up is taking in the right stuff. Okay? Taking in what strengthens you in grace. Because you can take in things that don't strengthen you, right? You can take in and consume things that weaken you. Have you ever been around kids very long and just realized how many gross things they like? Like they like to eat gross stuff. I'm sorry, ketchup is nasty, okay? Especially when you see my kids eat ketchup, okay? Okay, spaghetti-o popsicles, that's just weird, man. All right, but listen, kids like things that I think sometimes are gross, and they're obviously usually not the best for them, right? So growing up, one of these for me that comes to mind is Sunny Delight. Anybody know what Sunny D is? Okay, it is so gross, guys, I'm sorry. It's so nasty. If you like it, I'm sorry. You're one of those kids still, all right, is what that means. So here's what Sunny D was like for me growing up. Yeah, wow, that's a really old commercial from like 1994. But here's the thing about Sunny D. These were orange drinks that were super popular when I was growing up. Um, they were way cheaper than orange juice, so the adults would buy it in place of orange juice. It was weird, okay? It was really weird, like it was, like it was equal in nutritional value, you know, or something. Um, but it tastes so much nastier, and it was so much worse for you than orange juice. Especially if you, like, had real orange juice right after you had Sunny D, and then you just realized how terrible Sunny D was even more. But really, like, if you, how many of you guys have had the Sam's orange juice? That stuff's where it's at. That stuff is good. It'll, it'll, you'll have to take out a, mor- a second mortgage to buy it, but it is so good. Uh, all right. Here's the thing. Here's what Peter's getting at. The, that a baby needs milk to grow up. They need the real thing. They need the good stuff, right? When you run out of milk for a baby, you don't just go to the fridge and be like, ah, we got some Mountain Dew. That'll work, right? That's not going to end well. It might be funny, yes, for a little while. It's not going to end well. Mountain Dew's not a good alternative, Right? But if you're a Christian, here's what Peter says. If you're a Christian, you crave what makes you grow and what nourishes you for spiritual growth for yourself and for others. You want to take in because you realize that what you take in matters. That if you want to grow up and you want to become someone who is abounding in peace and grace and love and looks more like Jesus then you know that you have to take in what is good. But he says, not only do you know this like in a mental sense, but you know this by experience. He says, you've tasted it. You've seen that the Lord is good. If you're a Christian, you know he's good. And you know that there have been times when you've, you've taken in something that wasn't good and it left you empty. And so Peter says this, go after what's good. Take in what's good. Because what you take in forms who you are becoming. What you stare at forms who you will become. One, uh, an author I'm learning from a lot right now, he says this, his name's Justin Early. He says this, one of the most true sense of our identity is found in the only story 
or excuse me, our most true sense of identity is found only in the story of who we are becoming. And that story is found in the words of the Bible. We can become ourselves only by staring into that story when there are many other stories competing for our identity. So he says this, you only know who you are and who you're becoming if you know God. And so you have to stare into the story that tells you who you are, who you're becoming. And the scripture, the word, the truth, is what does that. You only become your true self when you look into that story. So what are you taking in? In this season? Is it good? Is it nourishing you? Or is it going to lead you to a crash? Take in what is good so that you might grow up into all this goodness. Third key, get rid of what doesn't fit. Get rid of what doesn't fit. Verse 1, he says what? Put away all of this. And he gives a list. We'll go through that in a sec. In addition to feeding on truth and what is good, you have to put away the things that don't go with that desire, right? It's kind of like when people go to McDonald's and they order a Diet Coke, but then they like, they like supersize it, you know, if you've ever seen that. It's like, those things don't really go together, right? So like if you are taking in something that's good for you, and I'm not saying Diet Coke's good for you again, but you have to put off as well. Growing up actually involves you putting away old sinful patterns, childish things, old habits. Why? So that you make room for good in your life. You make room for growth there for you to put on something else. So you don't just take off something. You don't just stop a bad habit. You replace it with another, a good habit, okay? But you have to take that away. You have to put it off. So if you're going to grow up in grace, you have to make room for the love of God to grow in you by putting away things that don't fit with this life. So I'm terrible at holding on to things for years. I'm convinced there are two people. There are hoarders like me, and there are purgers like my wife, okay? How many of you are hoarders? Come on, it's okay. Yeah, I have clothes that are almost 20 years old in my closet. Confess, I do. And here's an even more painful confession. I oftentimes forget they're there, okay? And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, all right? And because I'm in youth ministry, a lot of youth group t-shirts pile up over the years. I'm like, oh man, why have I still got that? But then I'm like, I can't get rid of it now. It's like one of the early ones, right? So it looks terrible, all right? I'm terrible at holding on to things beyond what they're useful, okay? I'll confess, all right? Lindsay's not here. She can't use it against me, all right? I'm the worst at this with clothes, okay, like I told you. So I might want to wear that jacket that I've had for 15 years, even if it does fit terribly and it's way out of style and it's baggy. I don't care. You know what? I might, I might need it, right? So I'm kind of a hoarder, but every once in a while, I'll give Lindsay, like, free reign, okay? I'll let her just go through my closet, and I'll say, get rid of whatever you want. She's like, you haven't worn this. Can I get rid of this? Can I get rid of this? Yeah, yeah, whatever, sure. And I'll go back in there, and then my closet, like, is all clear. Like, I can see the window, okay, because there's a window in our closet. 
and have all of this room for what's actually more useful suddenly. The Holy Spirit is very much that same way. You see, there are habits, there are temperaments, there are ways of thinking, there are trained reactions, sinful tendencies that I deal with still to this day. And a lot of those started when I was younger, even some of your age, because I kind of just mindlessly let them accumulate in my life. And... I just kind of leave them there and I forget they're there and they get buried and suddenly they surprise me when they come out (laughs) or they just clutter up my life and my psyche like Peter's talking about. But every time I give the Spirit free reign and say, show me the things you want to unearth in me, put away the things that are not in keeping with the life you're forming in me, it's painful but it always makes room for good to flourish in my life. And that's what it means to grow. Because every time he does that, peace and grace abounds in me more and more. And I'm just in process. And all that good stuff that he brings doesn't go old, unlike the other. And so make room for the good by putting off what doesn't fit anymore. So he gives this list of five things that don't fit in the Christ follower. And he says, put these off. Malice. Malice is not only the wrong intent, but the actions that are harmful to others. So you just do things that are harmful to others, okay? Deceit, harming others through trickery or falsehood. So you might not like just be blunt about it, but you do it like in a subtle sense. That's deceit. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy masks inner evil by an outward display of righteousness, and good deeds. Put that away. Envy, he says, it's the opposite of thankfulness for the good that you see coming out of others. Ew, that one hurts, right? Hurt. That one hurts for me. And then the last one is slander. Any speech that harms or is intended to harm someone's status or reputation. He says, put those things off. So that you might take in what is good. All of these sins aim at harming other people, whereas the end result and goal of Christian maturity and growth is love. Love that seeks the good of others. So let's clear these things out. And there's enough of that in the world right now that is empty of hope, right? But for those who have been born into a living and enduring grace, Seek the good of others even in hard times because they know who they are. They stand in the truth. They know the right goals. They feed on what is good. And they put off what doesn't fit. Christians are to seek the good of others in love by growing up in the grace that gives them unfading life. If you don't know that life today, I want to invite you, perhaps for the first time, to just say yes to Jesus. And he will give you an unfading, imperishable life and hope that is well kept with God in heaven. No matter what circumstance may come, it's forever rooted there. And it actually will grow even in hard season. If you're a Christian today, you've done that. But maybe you've lost sight of that and you're, man, you, your heart's not loving. 
you've somehow you've been moved away from that because every day we've got to get up and we've got to calibrate our heart again on truth. We've got to calibrate our, our, our soul upon God's love and stare into that story that tells us who we are, reminds us of who we are and who we're called to become. And let's make room for love to abound in our life. All right. All right. So to conclude tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put up a couple of questions and just kind of walk through these things together. Um, if you if you have a way that we can minister to you, um, no, we're here. We'd love to do that. You've got adult leaders here that will do that. If there's a way that something I said tonight struck you and, hey, man, like the Holy Spirit wants to show me some stuff, but I don't know how to deal with all this clutter. I need somebody to help me go through the closet, you know, I'm here for that as well. Okay, I'd love to be able to do that for you. Nonetheless, let's, let's uh, spend a few moments walking through these together and then we're done, okay?